do? So first and foremost is obviously the data ingestion. So that was kind of the beginning of the story with this product. Um, we could talk about what comes before the data ingestion, but the, pro the actual product started at data ingestion. So you've already got a, you know, kind of your data ready. It's already, it doesn't have to be super clean, but it's already cleaned, it's already gathered. And from there, it was basically drag and drop machine learning. So you'd take your S3 credentials or your credentials from Looker and you'd connect them to the platform. We would index all of the data sets and then you'd have a view of all the data sets just in a big list and you could click on one and get stats. We'd do summary stats and then your more advanced stats like getting cardinality and stuff. Um, and then you'd just pick a target on your data set and we would train a series of machine learning models and take the highest scoring one and then show it to the user. Say, hey, we generated your model, it scored this, and then we'd show them the feature importance. Say, these were the drivers, you know, the biggest drivers for your model. And so that was kind of the first, first bit of value that the platform would provide is that feature importance saying, hey, you're trying to retain employees. So commute distance is the biggest driver to people staying or leaving. We would show direction and magnitude for the feature importance. So they could show, oh, you know, this is negatively impacting my target or it's positively impacting it. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's fantastic. You know, it seems like machine learning could be so simple uh, and you, you know, that sounds to me almost like data robot. Um, <laughs> we, because... we actually did comparisons. We're on Gartner research with data robot. We did uh, some head to head combat with them on a few fronts. How'd you do? Oh, we kicked the crap out of them. <laughs> uh, wow. Thing, the big thing is that we were not, so we weren't doing things like hyperparameter tuning. We weren't generating huge networks of models to do these deep levels of analysis because at the end of the day, your typical business, what they're doing right now with the analysts is they're using the human intuition and that bias is making its way into the actual analytics. And it just okay. so turns out that humans are not very great at, well, analyzing things and making decisions and saying, this is what's actually driving it. They use their intuition to do that, which is important. We want to keep that in the loop when it comes to machine learning, but on its own, it's just not very accurate. So, okay, coming back to it. Um, oh gosh, okay, well, sorry, where did I leave off there? <laughs> okay, yeah, I know you were talking about uh, humans, you know, trying to make a decisions because they they're they do a lot of intuition they don't really uh not really good at studying the uh data then thinking about what the data is actually saying and then trying to drive a decision based on data they use kind of rule of thumb right and, I, and that's one of the things i've noticed too is that uh there's a book called hardball mm -hmm. uh, and in the book he, it was it actually made into a movie but it, the whole point was is this guy looked at statistics and he found 
Uh, he could find uh, baseball players for a certain uh, price point. They didn't have necessarily oh. uh, the features of a great baseball player. They looked like a great baseball player, but their stats uh, for the given area that they were in were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And so he combined the uh, a group together, and they, you know, they they had a winning winning season. Oh God! Uh, but it, it goes to it goes to show though a lot of the decision making is based on uh, marketing, not necessarily on data. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, the people involved, they have, uh, you know, they, they see things on the ground. And so they see the emotions of the other people involved and whatnot, and they weight their decisions against, you know, their view, not just a, an objective view of the data, which is what machine learning is going to do. Um, sorry, when it came to data robot, what I was getting at was we beat them on speed and then the accuracy, we were only, you know, maybe a fraction of a percent off when it came to the accuracy, because at the end of the day, the signal that's in most of these, these business verticals, you know, the signal's either there or it's not, you're not going to get too many super, you know, super deep correlations going on with, you know, just obscure pieces of data. It's like we outreach to this customer nine times or 10 times. Is there a ridge there or not? So that's what I was getting at with data robot. Well, um, one of the things that, uh, you know, you you spend a lot of data scientists, you spend a lot of time forming your data, getting it squared up. Mm-hmm. And then you, you look at the kind of key indicators in the company and you kind of get a feel for what people were looking at. Uh, and then you want, you want to go to the next step, which is predictions. Yep. And it sounds like your software um, makes it simple. And that's one of the big problems I, I, I see with even Power BI is it's not really clear where the AI starts and where, it, you know, you, you can do a command line entry, but then you really don't know even what you're to ask the, the AI. And yeah. I think that's, that's kind of a, I think it's gotta be a model that's visual. Uh, you've got to have features that are, you know, it's telling you that these are important features and here's mm-hmm. why. And it has to have kind of almost like a conversation with you. You know, they uh, like mathematics. It's a it's a language. It's a it's a way to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, machine learning's got to be the same way. If if you just saw a bunch of diagrams and and lines, uh, I'm not sure you would know what what it meant. Yeah, that was one of the issues that we found with a lot of the BI providers was we found that a lot of the stats that they're showing, a lot of the pretty tables and visuals were very misleading. Mm. And they're really just selling points because all the BI providers, they, the, the market at this point is pretty well known to where they're mostly just matching parity with one another. So if one of them comes out with a pretty visual that people are latching onto, they got to match that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to the data, I mean, your first bar to data is that diagnostic data. It's that raw data, you know? And then the next bar is that analytics data. That's where you're getting some stats. That's where you're getting visuals and things like that. And then the predictive. And then beyond that's prescriptive. That's where you're treating the business as a, as a machine that has 
you know, levers and knobs. And you need to answer that question of, well, what levers and knobs do I need to pull or turn in order to achieve this desired result? Yeah. And, you know, it seems like if, uh, and I would say if you could even get a 3% increase in productivity or return on your investment in a corporation, uh, you're going to catch a lot of attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, if you're looking at any of the banks, it's like, you know, they have these big budgets, $100 million a year into marketing. There's no A-B testing that goes on with these things. They're just dumping money into marketing. So if you can get even just like, if you're tracking the data around like your campaign and the region, you know, that alone is enough to start doing some machine learning and to see if you're, well, I guess you could look at your target as just your yearly revenue or your lead qualifications that are coming in, that kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot that you can do. Well, have you, uh, heard of a product called Spacey? I have not. S-P-A-C-E-C-Y. Yeah, it's basically an open source uh, project, uh, but they do have some registration and licensing uh, where they put the software, you can put the software into your company. Mm -hmm. But one of the things it does is workflow. And that's one of the things that I've been thinking about um, is the automated decision-making. So, uh, where you have a continuous learning system mm -hmm. where it's taking, you know, you're, it's ingesting the data and uh, then it's building uh, improved decisions, but there is kind of an automated workflow that it figures out. So you set up kind of a workflow to begin with, mm -hmm. but then as uh, data and new rules start coming in, it can adjust uh, its workflow. Um, have, you, have you thought about things like that? Um, is it Spacey, like Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, thanks for that. I'll take a look into it. Um, as far as injecting it into a workflow, the workflow where we were mostly injecting, I mean, a lot of it was customer service on our end simply because right. we had built a general platform and were missing a lot of context into the data sets that is very difficult to automate. And so when we came into the workflow, it was more in regards to scenarios and goal setting, which is really just asking that question of, you know, given my target and my features, how do I improve my target? And so we gave them some tools to where they could, you know, either like on the data set, you know, they have something like region. We would change the data set to move all of their customers into a specific region and then you know, run the predictions again and compare it against their, you know, what they have in the data set. What is that? What did that give them? I don't quite understand. What so did it give them? It literally gave them the ability to change the features. So like outreach attempts and sales, they could reduce the number of outreach attempts and see how it would affect their target. Oh, so wow. Say, okay, if we reduce our outreach attempts, we will get fewer sales. Or if we increase it, get more. So that's what it gave. Yeah. It literally gave them those levers that they can pull and say, what if I did something different? You know, what does the machine learning tell me what the result will be? Yeah, I don't know if you listened to the 
machine learning um, podcast I did yesterday uh, with seven. Um, but one of the things that they were doing was uh, material science where uh, mm. they were taking uh, groups of three ma- ma- materials and mm. then uh, looking how these three material different types, uh, combinations, how they would produce a, a stable uh, alloy. And uh, so they were looking at the atomic numbers. Mm-hmm. And eventually what they happened was they tried to get to a certain physical trait because they figured if, if they could get to certain traits, then they could uh, overlay that across um, a wider range of, of combinations. So they were talking, you know, first, I think a few hundred thousand combinations, but then they were talking, uh, hoping to find kind of that template that they could overlay and get, you know, maybe millions of combinations. So it would be, a you know, the super payoff, you know. Um, and what his point was, is that the machine learning was kind of like a compass. It pointed you in a, in a general area and a way or a strategy, and then you, you know, you fine tune that strategy. Is that kind of like what you're talking about? That is, yeah, that would be, that would be the kind of progress over time for kind of tracking the model performance. Um, that's where the actual, you know, business analyst in this case would look at the tool and say, okay, if we moved, you know, thir- 30% of our business over into California, we should see a 10% increase in profits. Oh, okay. So, now, once uh, they do that. Then predict it. Okay. Yeah. Now, once they do that, that's kind of where, you know, this is where you're actually implementing the results of the machine learning model and the prescription, if you will. Um, but then tracking that over time is where you're starting to see things like, well, maybe the model was off um, or there's more data that we needed to collect. Or I guess you're, I suppose the last thing that you could find is that math and stats don't apply to your business. Why, why would that be the case? Well, I mean, obviously we weren't banking on that one or we wouldn't have made the product, but I suppose that could be the case if, uh, uh, in, in regards to just like maybe human emotion, right? If we were finding that if the analytics, they weren't hitting the numbers and sales numbers, then there must be something else going on. Either data they're not tracking or there's simply just some level of randomness there in the world. You know, it seems like, it seems like the, the more correct scenario would be that uh, the machine learning would reveal some features that they didn't even realize or correlations they didn't even realize were happening. And uh, they would then say, oh, you know, we found this correlation. It's an amazing correlation and we need to, you know, divert money or resources uh, to enhance that. A a classic example would be like a survey where you go ask them uh, like a group of users, do you Mm want to hear Swift or do you want to hear about programming questions or do you want to hear about uh, 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 Swift UI? You know, the, the classic, you know, three questions you ask them. And then you find the correlation is everyone wants to know about Swift UI. So <clears throat> then you divert all your attention to where the customer is telling you that, you know, is important. But you, maybe originally you thought people were wanting to get jobs so that they'd want to hear jobs. But that was only, you know, 15% of your market. Yeah. So, so you were wrong to begin with. All your market research was wrong. 
and what really was right was the data. Mm -hmm. No, that's exactly right. I mean, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're trying to, I suppose, move on some prediction that the machine learning model made and you're finding the results are different than expected, it definitely points to there's more data to be gathered here. And so it really opens that up that new question of, well, what am I missing? You know, it's almost like you need to have a champion inside machine learning too. So you get the data, you get that hard analytics and you're, you're looking at it. And, uh, but then there's the political and the bureaucracy within a company. Oh, and yeah. you know that, uh, you know, that, that, that those, those views are not going to be popular. So you, you've got to have, you know, you've got to have support from senior management to, to make any moves based on your data. Oh, you definitely do. I'm, I mean, there's a, there's quite a few problems involved with that. I mean, first and foremost is the decision makers and kind of that, that cost of that, of that internal organization communication. And then even beyond that is that data science bread line. <laughs> I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're the, in the, sales department or an ops, the chances of you getting a data science resource dedicated to you is very slim. Oh yeah, yeah, very slim. And you know, the, with the talent shortage uh, that's going on, um, I think the data science and the um, automated machine learning software that your company has produced is gonna be very valuable. And uh, you know, cause like I, I read that DataRobot did over a, a billion models, data models. So people are throwing their data up there fast to see if they can get any any uh, uh, value return. At, you know, so this automation uh, is just going crazy. Oh, absolutely! I mean, even with Data Robot, you know, they're they've thrown it all into being that professional tool, that tool for the data scientist. Um, we found that businesses. They didn't, they don't need that level of precision. And so that's where we were coming in with the intention of being the tool for the more common business user, but also making sure that it has that capability of augmenting the data scientist without entirely replacing them. So keeping the human in the loop, providing enough information to instill confidence in both decision maker and data scientists so that the analyst can use it, but the data scientist can still verify that kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. Um, you said you, you've focused in on uh, customer service. Did you, uh, did the system kind of work like an expert system where, you know, a customer calls in, uh, they have a, you know, they have a complaint. So then they pull up the account, they have some questions, uh, or is it uh, more technical? Like, uh, they're trying to resolve some policies and then based on information that's being fed in, uh, it may, it's trying to help them make decisions and whether or not uh, those policies can be answered or if they need to go to a, you know, an, an expert to get that answer. Uh, can, you, can you talk a little bit more on this customer service and how it works? With yeah, there was kind of a few layers to obviously customer service was very, large because a big lift with a product like this you know, you know like if you're if you're looking at, at data robot and you just pour it into somebody's hands 
and they're looking at all the results in the world, they don't know what they're looking at. It's the same thing with the BI provider. You know, if you throw in fancy visuals left and right, people may like what they're seeing, but they don't really know what they're looking at. And what I mean by that is not some, some like level of stupidity by any means. It's just that, you know, they're being presented a lot of useless information. It's not useful to know, you know, some specific thing about machine learning that, you know, that is relevant if you're training the model, but if you're looking at the results, you don't really need to know that. Right. Um, you want to, you want to get it to a point that it's important to them. Right. Right. Um, and so, yeah, there's just, there's so many pieces to it. It's a, it's kind of thing where every subject is just this rabbit hole of, of customer and market research and then product research and all this. But um, coming back to the customer support, the biggest problem is, is obviously the training involved, you know, the education. And so that's where our, our customer support representatives were very much involved in the training and helping them gather the data that, and put it together. Um, now we did have some tools to help support that in the app as well, you know, links to Zendesk. So if somebody has an issue, they can report it and it goes to product or it goes to customer service. Um, and then training material within the product, lots of, lots of, you know, friendly machine learning information, if there is such a thing, but it's, it's the kind of thing where if they're looking at some statistic and they don't know what it is, slap a question mark there that they can hover over or even click on that explains to them, Hey, this is what you're looking at. And here's a video, you know? Right. So I would say like, uh, intelligence is a product of search. And so if, if it, if the customer was coming in and, it, and they were wanting, uh, to get, information then the machine learning by helping them get the relevant information through either a conversation dialogue mm -hmm. that's going back and forth between the customer is going to be valuable it i mean i talked to an intelligent bot from viewpoint mm -hmm. and it got me uh information for a, a table schema really quick but then when i asked it a, a couple more questions uh, about the uh, interface, it couldn't answer it. And then it just sat there for a little while. And then it uh, finally figured it didn't have any way to answer the question and it uh, created a, ch a ticket. I uh, gotcha. Yeah, we weren't doing anything to that level. It very much was either trying to point them to, you know, material that was outside of our company or point them to a representative that could kind of hold their hand and get them to the next step. And how was the, what was the impact on that? Did they, uh, did it reduce the uh, uh, aggravation or, you know, satisfaction levels go up or what was the direct impact that kind of gave an ROI back to you? Um, you know, that's a, it's a hard one to answer because, well, maybe, maybe not actually. I mean, when, when, when we did not have that level of assistance, obviously our customers were just shying away. They didn't understand okay. even what they were coming into. Um, in this space, it's difficult to find companies that, like if you find a company that does understand machine learning, they're already doing it. They're not gonna be your customer. Right. <laughs> if you find somebody who doesn't understand it, they're, it's almost like the, I guess the behavior that I saw 
was almost equatable to herd immunity. Okay. Where, you know, there's this person that you could potentially get to do machine learning for their company, but they're, they're kind of blocked by this herd of other people who don't understand it. <laughs> okay. I got you. And so yeah. I, I call that wolf where the, you have the, uh, you have the alpha wolf who's the strong one, but then uh, you can have other wolves that are trying to pull that, that one down. Mm -hmm. uh, unless until there's some, uh, there, until there's some acceptance, you know, where the, the mass group is, is uh, resistant to the change because it's inertia is easier. Right. But the yeah. problem with inertia is your survivability is going to be low. So you've got, you've got to be changing and adapting and there has to be a sense of urgency inside your company. Otherwise, uh, these new faster competitors are going to be moving into your space. Right. Yeah. The, the whole singularity thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the number of companies that have changed hands in the last five years, uh, you can almost predict that most of those companies will be in a different form in the next five years. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, to, uh, the idea that things will stay the same, even in the workplace, the idea that you can just stay in one company for 20 years is not uh, true anymore. People are moving around and they're, you know, they're changing quite a bit. Right. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. In, in 20 years, everybody could be under a 1099 and we're all our own business entities. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and that's what I think, too, is that, you know, a corporation is a collection of very intelligent individuals who have some common goals and beliefs, you know, right. and as uh, things are being interchanged and moved in and out, knowledge workers are moving around. So uh, uh, companies are are more flexible now. You can work at home. You can uh, you can work as a your own business. Uh, you can work uh, part time, full time, you know. Uh, you can consult there. There's just so many different variations nowadays. Right. Um, well, I, you know, we're about out of time, but uh, I, this was very enlightening. Can you just share how businesses can uh, get a hold of you and uh, or uh, find out more about the software that you used in as uh, um, to incorporate in your customer service? Um, so I can point them to my LinkedIn, which is just Tyler Cooper. Um, I'm currently a consultant and I was previously with a company called Big Squid and Big Squid okay. is that. It's good. Uh -huh. yeah. So they are that generalized machine learning platform. So, yeah. Is there anything else you want to know? Uh, well, uh, just one other piece, which is, uh, do you think that machine learning will be uh, capable in the future of, of having uh, natural language conversations. So that, you know, like you were saying earlier about the vid, uh, the imaging and graphs, you know, they're, they're gonna look good, but it doesn't really tell you the heart or the significance of it. Like when I, when I look at it and think about data science, it needs to answer, why should I pay attention to this? And if I don't pay attention to this, what could be the consequences of it? In other words, mm -hmm. it's not just throwing up uh, diagrams, but it's bringing me to attention of maybe there's a sudden drop in cells due to, uh, you know, a change in policy. And it could identify this change in policy as having a negative impact. I need to pay attention to that. Um, right. 
or maybe the cost of materials for some reason uh there was a, a change in a contract and the cost of materials for the gas went up and that's going to negatively impact my uh my future earnings um do you think that machines are going to be able to have conversations so that we can know what they're talking about? So in regards to predicting the future, I can't, I can't do that. Okay. I was suggesting that there could be a machine that is, you know, that passes the Turing test. I said like, yeah, this, this sounds a lot like a human. I think that's definitely on the horizon. Um, and then even, even going beyond that, in regards to potentially having machines that interact with one another, you know, and, and that also learn and run things like maybe our economy or our, our cars, for example, which is something that's very close. Yeah, those things will definitely happen. Um, as far as, you know, going beyond that into like some post-human kind of robotics age. Yeah. I think I think human augmentation is always going to be the thing that you know uh, even even to the point where if we could if we didn't need our phones and it was a brain implant and the machines were assisting us learning our brain patterns to perform a search and get us the information better. Yeah, I'd say those things are definitely uh, achievable. Yeah. I think they're already here. You know, I, you, I saw, you know, you could have a, a, an ear implant um, that helps you with, you know, assist you with hearing. And that's actually implanted directly into the brain and it's transmitting yeah. signals there. Uh, they did have some eyes, uh, retina implants that connect to the um, optical nerves and sending uh, signals back to the brain and could process color. Uh, so that I, I think, I'm not sure what the resolution is today, but I, at the time when I read the article it was 256 and it was enough that they could see shapes and color. Um, mm. And, you know, I guess what I was looking at is not so much uh, post-human because I don't believe in that, but uh, <laughs> I was just thinking more of like uh, assistive tool because faster interfaces, you know, like conversations, because when you have a conversation like you and I, we transmit a lot of information. You know, you're transmitting a lifetime worth of knowledge uh, just in a few sentences, but it tells me what's important. And uh, then that, that tells me, okay, this, these are things that I need to pay attention to. And so this, uh, uh, you know, interest and importance is so critical especially as more and more information is becomes available because we, we don't have unlimited amount of time and we are uh, we do, like you said, we, we don't have the discipline really to sit down what the machine is producing and think about it. Right. And so actually having the machine go to the next level, which is do the thinking for us a little bit, <laughs> more and then telling us this is important for the following reasons <laughs> yeah i think that yeah. stuff definitely on the horizons you know the the law firms that are doing the e-discovery you know that to me that's kind of one of those first steps into a a larger system involving one of our more sophisticated um <laughs> i suppose levels of human interaction which is law and once we can start automating that hopefully 
you know, that could be a big piece where it's like, all right, you know, maybe we could develop a system that'll tell me if I'm breaking a law right now. Yeah. Well, actually, when you, if you've been in front of a judge, which I happen to be one time, I was amazed how mechanical his decision was. I mean, it was a, it was almost like a talking to machine anyway. He was running calculations. <laughs> he was giving percentages. Yeah. He, you know, 